Bully and the Chocolate Factory, a Good Omens multi-voice podfic, written by Untangled Now. Chapter 3 Eventually, everyone is ready to head off on the tour again. Crowley, thankfully, with less of an ache at the front of his skull and a far nicer taste in his mouth. Their cardboard cups are chucked in the bin, then promptly fished out of the bin and put in the recycling by pepper. Glasses are found under tables and bags are forgotten and then trudged back for. Safety equipment doesn't seem to be necessary, at least not according to Zonka. A statement which Crowley has to side-eye when he spots a few Eric's wearing hard hats. There are so many pipes and tracks and strange wheeled devices moving overhead. He refuses to believe that nothing has ever fallen from up there and done something unfortunate to a worker. Try not to walk under the tram lines, Crowley tells Adam when the others we off to marvel at the flow of sweets moving along the clear pipes either side of them. I don't want you to end up with an axle or a bolt of some sort falling on your head. Adam tips his head back to get a good look at the hive of activity above him, seemingly without a single worry about falling axles. Zonka wouldn't let that happen, he says, with an irritating and completely unearned, as far as Crowley can tell, amount of confidence. You've known him all of five minutes. This might be how he gets his kicks. Adam laughs, which proves he either wasn't listening or he thinks Crowley is being funny but she stares upwards for a bit longer, and this time at least he seems to be thinking about what would happen if one of those tracks lost a few bolts. Or maybe he is looking for secrets in the collection of pipes and towers and, hopefully fireproof, coloured foam decorations overhead. How do you think it all stays up there? Do you think it's magic? I do not think it's magic. Crowley can't believe he even has to answer that question. He resists the urge to treat it like the ridiculous statement it is, because Adam's eleven and he deserves to still have the occasional moment of wonder, even if he really should know better by now. I think it's engineering, good design, and a lot of concealed wires. But some people say Zonka can do actual magic, Adam says, looking over at Crowley with both eyebrows raised. He has a horrible feeling there's an argument coming. Well, some people are also a little too fond of a brandy before bed. Adam's nose wrinkles, as if he thinks Crowley's being mean. He's not. He's just being honest. It's not just Mrs. Nutter that says so. Crowley figures he'll humor him. <laughs> All right, let's say Zonka can, just for argument's sake. He's 200 years old and he can do actual magic. 
You really think this? He gestures around him, making sure to point out the water tanks, electrical outlets, fire extinguishers, and the mangled twist of piping running to each building. You really think if Zonka could do actual magic, he'd be working his ass off in a chocolate factory fifty miles outside London? Doing taxes and marketing and writing endless letters to excited children wanting to know what goes in his exploding Zonka moon pies. Having boring inspections every six months and putting cringeworthy adverts on TV every Christmas. Adam frowns deeply, suggesting that he's thinking about it at least possibly debating how much fun he'd find Texas if he could just do everything by magic instead. Yeah, but maybe that's just so people don't guess. I bet you were saying the same thing about him when you were eleven and look how old you are. Oi! Seriously, Dad says he remembers lining up for Zonka Bars too, like fifty years ago. Crowley winces in sympathy for a man he doesn't even like all that much, because he's fairly sure Arthur's only a few years older than him. And he says he hasn't aged at all? Adam hurries out before Crowley can protest. Warlock's dad thinks it's suspicious too. Zonka should be old, but he isn't. Kids are shit at aging people. Crowley doesn't even try and sugarcoat that, which seems appropriate, considering. And besides, no one's seen him for twenty years. He could probably be sixty-five if he's taking care of himself, or spent a lot of money. That's a lie. The man looks the same age as Crowley, but he can see Adam's certainty wavering. He tries not to feel guilty about crushing the kid's first conspiracy theory, but they have a lot to look at today. Crowley flattens a hand on his backpack and nudges him forward to join the rest. Come on, let's go see where the immortal wizard chocolatier is taking us now. The aftertaste of whatever nonsense drink Zonka had given him stays on the back of his tongue while they amber their way through two mixing rooms and then up a spiral staircase to the catwalks above. Crowley has to admit it's a great vantage point, giving them a top-down view of the large tanks and many vats, which are mixing chocolate, spinning candy floors, and doing something involving paddles and brushes to caramel. He mostly tunes out Sonka's constant drone about putting the sweetness in. He has no idea how one man sustains that much enthusiasm, especially not in the face of constant chocolate fumes. But if he breaks into song again, Crowley swears he's throwing himself in a mixer. Pepper has a thousand questions about the ingredients. Brian appears to be testing the condensation of the railings. Warlock is sulking because his father refuses to buy him a giant candy floss or cotton candy machine. 
Adam wants to know if anyone has ever fallen in, which, hell, Crowley figures he can let him get it out of his system early, and maybe it won't become a thing. Talking of falling in, Wensleydale keeps sticking his head through the catwalk railing to see better, forcing Zonka to gently tap an overhead sign which reads, Please make all efforts to not fall into the mixers. It's not the only one around them. There's also a caution hot chocolate and keep away from the edge and even a harness required for chocolate dunking. Crowley doesn't know and doesn't care what's getting dunked in the chocolate. He can imagine dangling over hot chocolate all day, holding marshmallows or apples on sticks, loses its appeal really fucking quickly. He also can't help but remember the forms they'd been forced to sign before they came in, which they'd been told to read carefully, since whoever was in charge of health and safety was probably fairly strict about establishing blame should any accidents occur. There'd been an odd clause that insisted genuine accidents were completely covered and no serious injury or penalty would result. Crowley's not exactly sure how Zonka could decide whether people were going to end up injured or not. He doesn't really get to decide that but he thinks there'd been an addition that went something like in the event of willful negligence, disobedience, reckless endangerment, or repeated disregard of the very clearly laid out rules and regulations of the factory, blah, blah, blah. Crowley, who'd had more than one former employer try to screw him over, thought he could read between the lines there. How much caramel is in this? Pepper asks of the giant wedge below them, slowly turning its thick, overpoweringly sweet contents. Zonka gives his cane a little spin. About 15,000 gallons, give or take. How many chocolates does that make? Adam wants to know, squeezing in between Pepper and Warlock. That would make millions of chocolate bars, Pepper says confidently. More if you were talking about the selection boxes of chocolates or the caramel swirl ice cream or the caramel filling on the caramel deluxe frosted cupcakes. Adam's eyes are getting noticeably bigger, while Pepper continues to list off uses for Zonka caramel. Is that how much you make in a day? Warlock's astonishment pushes him to peer over the edge of the railing to have another look. Could you even get that much loaded onto lorries and sent out to shops in a day? Adam seems to be trying to do maths in his head. You'd need 50 lorries at least. Ryan decides. Maybe a hundred. Dad, how many chocolate bars can a lorry hold? Crowley stops paying attention. Cheese Mom and Sunglasses Mom are watching candy floss be spun and then sucked into tubes from one of the other enormous vats, and Mustache Dowling appears to be looking at his own reflection in a tank that's eye-level with the catwalk. 
Crowley checks there's actually a solid railing behind him before he leans back and rubs the space above his glasses. The air in here tastes like it's 20% powdered sugar and it's probably never coming out of his nostrils. It occurs to him that he didn't see the cheese kit huddled with the rest, asking questions about millions of chocolate bars. The last time he'd seen him he was... Crowley spots the kid's backpack lying on the metal of the catwalk very close to the edge. One of the clips is broken open, as if it had snapped free due to not fitting through a ten-inch gap in the railing. At least not when the weight of a child was pulling on it. Crowley shoves himself upright and heads over, hands gripping the edge to look down. There's nothing below but a vat of chocolate, slowly turning under the push of giant paddles. A picture of Wensleydale's prize-winning cake is floating on the surface, along with a scatter of pens and a pair of glasses, which sink as he watches. Crowley walks the railing to land on the triangular quarter of the vet's metal half-lid, feeling the impact go all the way from ankles to knees. He shoves his hand without thinking into the mixture. It probably should be boiling chocolate, but it isn't. It's warm and thick, and when he leans down to reach deeper, he's so close he can taste it. His stretching fingers finally touch something, something that shouldn't be in there, and he pulls. Wensleydale breaks the surface. A child shape, completely covered in chocolate. For a moment he just bobs, and then he's sputtering. Crowley holds him out onto the lid, splashing chocolate everywhere as he frantically wipes it from the kid's face so he can breathe. He's somewhat annoyed to finally hear shouts from above asking after them both. Like a child didn't just nearly drown in 15,000 gallons of chocolate. There's a harsh series of coughs, which cover Crowley's nightshirt in brown liquid, and then a dizzy sort of laugh. There are fish in there, Wensleydale says in a confused tone. That's what a lack of oxygen will do to you. Crowley ends up sitting on his ass on a tank of chocolate, his heart pounding in his chest while two Eric's appear from nowhere with a blanket and some wipes. Wensleydale is still laughing when he's carried down to his mother, who simply gives him a sad look and says his name in a disappointed fashion. The other parents at least seem to be taking a moment to get a grip on their kids, as if it occurs to them that it could have been one of them lost to the ingredients after a moment of inattention. Zonka has finally reached floor level two, though the men didn't feel the need to fucking rush, clearly. Oh, good heavens, look at you! You're more chocolate than child now. Curiosity got the best of you, didn't it, Wensleydale? I'm sorry, Mr. Zonka. 
One of the Eric's is cleaning the boys' glasses with a rainbow-colored handkerchief. Another is attempting to wipe chocolate from his face with a small tower. The first Eric hands his glasses back to him. I was trying to get a better look and I fell in. I didn't mean to. Wensleydale fumbles the no-doubt sticky frames over his still very chocolatey face. I see that. No harm done, no harm. It happens sometimes. When one of the Eric's isn't harnessed properly, or a bird gets in and finds itself very annoyed about the lack of obvious exits. Eric, make a note. The contents of vat number seven can be used for squinchel treats. What's a squinchel? Adam asks. Sonka reacts like that's the most interesting question anyone has ever asked him. It's a bit like a squirrel, only bigger. Incredible tails, very aerodynamic, though they do have a tendency to show off. Warlock looks thrilled by the idea, shuffling both himself and his overlarge backpack in beside Adam to look down into the vat. A few Eriks have moved in to turn it off, the giant paddles coming to a stop. Dad, Dad, aunt Squinchel. Master Stowling puts his hand on Warlock's shoulder. Squinchels aren't real, son. They're just something Zonka made up. Crowley feels like that's an unnecessarily honest thing to say in front of a bunch of kids that are having fun. For all that it's probably true. Zonka gives a breathless laugh. <laughs> They'll be very displeased to learn that when it's feeding time. Can we watch? Prine wants to know. Can we help? Will they let us eat out of their hands? Adam already looks half-tempted to dive in his own bag to see if he's got anything a squincher would like. I don't think chocolate's good for animals. Pepper protests with a worried frown. If they eat too much, it's like poison. It's poison to humans, too. Adam sounds excited to know something about a gruesome chocolate death, because of course he does. But you have to eat about half your weight in it, which is impossible because your stomach would explode. Brian! Tanktop Dad is making embarrassed noises from behind Sunglasses Mom's shoulder. Stop licking the poor boy, that's not sanitary. Tanktop dads cut off prematurely by the sound of gentle bonging around them, as if someone had taken a soft hammer to all the vats, every level of liquid giving a different note. It's an odd and discordant tune that can be heard over the mixing and folding and the faint hiss of steam pipes. It's soon followed by the rolling rumble of someone using the various pipes as a makeshift xylophone. Eric's appear above them, and then around them, all bobbing in time. Some of them swing themselves over the catwalk railings to hang like trapeze artists, their heads ticking back and forth. They start to harmonize, a nonsense rhyme that makes no sense as the parents and kids and one small chocolate-covered boy gop at the spectacle. Are they going to sing? Sunglasses' mom asks with annoyed disbelief. A boy could have died. 
Oh, they do this a lot. Songkai explains, as if it's the most normal thing in the world. I think it's how they process their anxiety. The Eriks on the catwalks around them have stopped work to shuffle forward and link arms. They've started doing a slow version of a can-can in their sensible work boots, occasionally unlinking so they can do a 360-degree turn, before starting the whole dance again. Four Eriks move to the front, strike poses and toss each other a variety of small objects as they start to sing. Health and safety rules must be followed at all times, or else we face disaster worse than badly chosen rhymes. Observe all signs and symbols and directions, please. Don't question our validity or expertise. We have a first-rate head for heights, ten dozen bulbs for the lights, and all you have to do is read the signs. One of the Eriks tosses Adam a light bulb, which lights up for a second in his hand, making him laugh. There are sprinklers for a fire, vents and valves when things are dire, and an axe encased in glass on every floor. We have smoke detectors, health inspectors, a storage room of surge protectors. Your safety is our honest guarantee. We have safeguards on every level, clean the railings like the devil, and all you have to do is read the signs. Read the signs! An Eric holds an over-large version of the Caution Hot Chocolate sign over the edge of the catwalk. Read the signs. Another Eric on the floor holds the Keep Away From The Edge one up so they can see it. Read the signs. A third Eric appears from out of an overhead duct, holding Harness Required for Chocolate Dunking. We try our best to keep you safe, though we know the rules can chafe. Please understand we're looking up for you. We won't punish you for a first offense and we'll give you proper recompense. Please do your best to keep inside the lines. Keep away from that tempting edge, step down from that alluring ledge. A foot too far could cause a deadly trip. Run wrong time lean can spell disaster and change your life forever after. Curiosity. It killed the cat. It also put a child in a chocolate vat. The Eriks all give one last series of kicks, and then, almost as one, they slide out of sight. There probably would have been a shocked silence, but the children are whooping and cheering. Even Wensleydale seems absolutely thrilled to be the focus of an entire song and dance number. What the fuck was that? Master Stowling wonders. That was in very poor taste. Sunglasses mom adds. Crowley, who's still sitting on hot metal and is covered in fast-drying chocolate, couldn't have put it better himself. He has some choice words to say about the whole thing, as he carefully rises, tripping chocolate that's already turning stiff from the elbows down. But then an Eric appears over the edge with some folding chairs and motions for him to climb down that way. A second drops down from the catwalk above onto the metal and takes his arm, so he doesn't slide his way straight off and crashes into the floor below. We'll sort you out in no time, Mr. Crowley. The first Eric tells him. Get you washed up and into some new and guaranteed chocolate-free clothes. The second finishes with 
barely a pause. Absolutely, you'll be as good as new. Another Eric adds from where he's hanging down over the adjoining railing. Crowley makes his way down the bed. He'll be damned if they're going to put him in one of those colorful overalls they wear around the factory floor. He'll wash chocolate out of his shirt and jacket. Thank you very much. It turns out the factory has the fanciest cloakrooms Crowley has ever seen. They are apparently unisex, and they come with toilets, showers, lockers, and even a slightly incongruous baby-changing table. But Crowley flatly refuses to strip off and shower in a weird sweet factory that probably has CCTV wired up everywhere. The last thing he wants is the mental image of a random Eric in some control room somewhere popping an eyeful while he eats a sandwich. He throws his ruined jacket over one of the tiled half walls and peels off his handlay, uses the sink to try and get the worst of the thick, half-dried chocolate off his sleeves and front. He notices it's also squished and tangled all through his scarf. He spends five minutes hopeful that he can do a decent job, then ten minutes quite obviously making it worse. I have some replacement clothes for you. Crowley splashes half a sink full of water in an upwards trajectory at the unexpected voice from behind him. Jesus fucking Christ! When he looks up, he finds Zonka's face, or rather Zonka's reflection, grinning at him from the mirror. Do you make any sound when you walk? Crowley fumbles his glasses off the edge of the sink and shoves them back on. I will endeavor to in the future. Zonka reassures him and then gestures enthusiastically with a neatly folded pile of black clothes. Crowley stares at it stupidly for a moment, because it appears to be an exact replica of his jacket, shirt, jeans and scarf. That makes no sense at all. Crowley threw his clothes on this morning, and there's no way Zonka could possibly have known what he was going to wear in advance. There's no way he could have replacements ready just like that. Crowley had picked the jacket up from a vintage store ten years ago. Having a copy of it just lying around should have been impossible. Which is what leaves him curious enough to reach out and start separating the items with his fingers ignoring Zonka's hopeful expression. These are my clothes. Crowley doesn't mean it to sound like an accusation, but that's the way it comes out. He's not sure what he's accusing the man of yet, but he think of something. Yes, I had them made when I realized your own were unrecoverable. You had them made? 
What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Does he have a back room full of Eric's frantically sewing and knitting and cobbling boots together, just in case? Sonka releases the pile into Crowley's hands, and he ends up briefly juggling with them as they come half unfolded and start to slither apart. It gives him a good opportunity to rub the material, though, and he's damned if he can tell the difference. We have a fabric synthesizer. We were going through so many overalls in the early 90s, or perhaps it was the 80s? It just seemed easier to make our own. Though I was told that it was best to not let the machine or its blueprints outside the factory, due to the possibility of accidentally destabilizing the entire fashion and clothing manufacturing industry. Crawley blinks. What's your material source? Plant fibers. Sonka tells him, and he looks proud. As if he'd made the damn thing himself. Crowley had known that Zonka held a ton of patents, but that's not exactly the sort of thing he pays attention to. Jesus! Unlimited clothing in any style, cut and color, out of plants. Made on demand. You've had this technology for 30 years, and you're just, what, Sitting on it for fun? Oh, no, I'm not denying the world for any sort of personal gain. When it was brought to my attention how many people would lose their jobs if I released the patent. Crawley prepares an annoyed noise and an argument for why exactly he needs to do that before realizing he's effectively standing in front of Zonka half-naked though the man doesn't seem interested in looking at anything below the neck that isn't Crowley's new pile of plant clothes. He shakes the new old shirt out and starts wrestling his way into it. The thing fits exactly the same as the old shirt. It even feels the same, no plant fibers to be found. How the hell do you print fabrics to feel worn in? Is the boy all right, Wensleydale? When in doubt, make other people expose their vulnerable edges, and having a child fall into a vat of chocolate had to be worth an expensive trip through the courts at least. It's supposed to be a reminder of Zonka's lax safety standards, but instead, he seems delighted at Crowley asking after the boy's well-being. Oh yes, he's quite all right. Accidents happen. He'll be scrubbed and squeezed by a few Eric's and then left to dry off in the zero-gravity room. His own weight in chocolate every month for a year and free tickets to his favourite attractions for the next two years seems to have smoothed over any disappointment about missing the rest of the tour. He should have hit the height requirement for most of their rides by then, too. Crowley ignores the zero gravity room, which he suspects is just one of those rooms with the fan in the floor they use for skydiving, in favor of being furious about Zonka refusing to take any responsibility. 
just like that. You almost drown a child in chocolate, and a few freebies soothes your conscience? Sonka makes a complicated noise, muttering something that sounds like... Making the best of a difficult situation. Under his breath. Crowley is desperately trying to knot the replica of his scarf, which is made of a material that may look the same as the original, but doesn't behave the same at all. He is going to blame that on the stupid plant fabric. Contrary to what some people might think, I care a great deal about everything that goes on in the factory. Songa is insisting over Crowley's noises of irritation. <sighs> a great deal. I always have done. A child nearly died. Impossible. No one dies here without my express permission. Crowley's not sure whether to be infuriated or laugh in his face. <laughs> it must be nice to have so much faith in your own fucking omnipotence. He grades out, gives up on trying to get his scarf to lie flat. Zonka throws up that ridiculous cane of his and gestures towards the doors. I take safety in the factory very seriously. Crowley flicks a finger out towards him, close enough that it would be easy to prod that ridiculous bow tie into his stupid soft face. You're a liar. This place is your own personal playground, and you're loving it. Zonka's mouth opens in an expression of shock that's so dramatic, Crowley is actually offended by it. I have never once lied in my life. You're a professional liar. This whole place is a lie. It's a party game. What a thing to say. You don't even know me. I don't want to. Zonka's face does something odd, a brief compression. I've made a bad impression with you somehow. I see that now. I've come across as disingenuous. Not my intention at all. He tucks the cane into the crook of his arm and reaches up, his hands taking hold of Crowley's scarf and expertly folding and twisting the ends together. He's Far too close. He smells like melted chocolate and fudge, and some sort of spicy cologne that Crowley hates himself for liking so much. Stop touching me. I'm not touching you. I'm simply correcting the lie of your scarf. The plant fabric can be a touch persnickety at times. <sighs> no one says persnickety. I just did. Sonka points out, his voice half amused in a way that feels so close to mocking. He tucks the two lengths of grey fabric straight, his soft hands curved for a moment around Crowley's lapels. His eyes are pale and they sparkle like he's just seen something amazing. There's a slim chance the man is on drugs. I'll make it up to you. You'll see. We'll be great friends.
There's a smile that looks so sure of itself that Crowley wants to knock it off his face, which he realizes might be a slight overreaction. I don't want to be friends with you. I'll change your mind. No, you won't. Great friends. To be continued in Chapter 4.